Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Seth Busby. And I'm Adam Bob. And we're here to sift through the deep, dark pasts of Australia's most fascinating founders. Oh, alas, this is not a true crime podcast, but this is First Act, the podcast where we have enlightening conversations with movers and shakers in business and life. We lift the veil on success and find out the stories, the what's and all stories behind successful people's journeys. If you like what you're listening to, pop a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Now, our guest today is an award-winning digital marketing guru who's walked his own path. In 2014, after working for e-commerce, B2B and online gaming brands, Tom Willis co-founded a game-changing service aimed at helping Australians access affordable legal support. And so... LawPath was born, and it's helped more than 250,000 small businesses. Now, Tom is a co-founder and chief marketing officer, but he also runs the online publication Marketing Trends, and he's taught more than 50 digital marketing courses for General Assembly. Now, Tom, we're all ears. Welcome to First Act. Hey, SS. Thanks for having me. Hey, Adam. Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. We're really happy to have you here with us on First Act. Now, we always start with what we call our first act icebreaker. Now, just a random question to start the day. Uh, This might play to your strengths, actually. (laughs) What is your favourite ad of all time and why? My favourite ad of all time. Look, uh, there's one that takes me back and it's probably uh, one that I remember the fondest, which is the, the, the dumb ways to die commercial. If you remember that from, from the Victorian, um, transport, uh, when they, when they were trying to, well, basically get people to stop, uh, you know, doing silly things on, on, on the tracks. They came up with the, with the catchy jingle. Um, it was very dumb cleverly done. I think it, <laughs> is that, that's the one, yeah. that's the one. And, <laughs> it, and I just remember it being one that struck me as it, it, it you know, it was kind of like content marketing before content marketing was really was really a thing as well. It was just done in a very clever way, and it, I think it really influenced a lot of what we see now in you know the viral video world and 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 what we're seeing every time we're we're jumping onto YouTube or Facebook and the like as well. So um, that's one that I'll, I'll I'll always look back on fondly. Did you ever see the game that went with that? My little kids were fascinated with it. <laughs> I do remember it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't recall too much of, of playing on it, but I do remember it being around at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you can still get it, download it. It's actually a <laughs> bit of fun. <laughs> that's amazing when something that's an advertising campaign just takes on a life of its own and it becomes something that people really want to engage in. Isn't that the dream, huh? That's the holy grail. That is our ice broken. Now let's get straight into the meaty stuff. <laughs> now, Tom, 
what was your first job and, and did it teach you any lessons for your future self? I went through, uh, you know, what a typical uh, primary schooler would do, I suppose, in saying that I, I want to I wanna have my own money. I, I didn't get an allowance. I had to earn every dollar that I was given. Basically, my first job was, was actually going into paper runs. And so I was a young whippersnapper, probably 10 or 11. I, I was rolling up the, the, the local uh, advertiser in my area. I grew up around Parramatta. We were handing out the Parramatta advertiser. So I would wrap them up. I would put them into my, my bike. I would go around to, to all of the local areas and, and put those in. So it was very much, I suppose, a lesson of, um, well, for one, it was, it was persistence. It was, it was very hard work, and especially when it was wet and you had to wrap them in the plastic bags as well. Uh, but, but then um, I think it was something that you learned over time uh, so much about what you can do around efficiencies. You know, I went into doing junk mail and the like as well from that as well. And, you know, it's, it, it's all little things that actually become really big parts of business. And, you know, I'd never thought about this at the time, but it was a lot easier to uh, prepare the, the, the pamphlets ahead of time before you delivered them into the mailbox versus going to the mailbox assembling all the different pieces of, of junk mail you had to put in and, and, and then doing that one at a time and that whole production line piece. And, you know, you, you, you read books when, you, when you're older about, you know, lean startup methodologies and, um, you know, Toyota's revolutionary production line. And it's, it, it's kind of going back to them saying, oh, yeah, that's what I was doing when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old handing out junk mail. So, um, you know, working out those, those efficiencies and, and how they then, I suppose, stick with you is pretty fascinating. Is that child labour, 10, 11 years old? <laughs> <laughs> we were getting paid and I think, you know, we were getting paid what I think at the time we thought was very handsome and we, we said, well, look, if we can, we can earn the money and, and buy more, I think, I think at the time it would have been video games for the Nintendo 64 um, and if we can earn those, then, you know, I can't, you know, mum and dad can't be too mad at me for, for playing too many games if I've earned the money to buy them myself. So um, I suppose there was a bit of justification there and gave us probably a little bit more rope in other things. So uh, I was happy with it. Now, a little birdie cough LinkedIn tells us you founded TW Music Lessons 14 years ago. This would have been your first business, right? What was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So going into school and particularly high school, I, I found myself as very much, and I've always been a generalist. I've been someone who, you know, I, I, I'm quite good at most things, but I'm not, you know, particularly strong at any, any one thing. And so when I, when I went through schooling, uh, you know, probably the thing I was strongest at was, was, was more on the creative side of things. And, you know, I was, I was, you know, quite an accomplished musician. I was, I was like a classically trained pianist, did all of my my different grades in, in piano, took up guitar when I was in high school as well and, you know, did quite quite well on that side of things um, and, and managed to, you know, top my grade in, in music at school. And when I was moving into university, um, one of the things that I found was that I didn't have enough time to really kind of continue on with that, with that path. I, I didn't think it was ever going to be something that I could do full time in like, you know, actually going out and being a musician. But I loved just being able to, find things that would then challenge me to continue to play and to, to, to pick up the instruments. So, uh, yeah, basically I, I, I started my, my own tuition business and uh, it, was, it was really conducted through going to all of the, the local schools, putting an ad in their newsletter, doing a couple of different, you know, local directory listings. And this was, 
This was in my parents' house. They had a granny flat out the back, set that up into a bit of a music studio where I had uh, an electric piano. I had a couple of guitars and uh, I, start, I started being in students. And, and so uh, that became something that uh, I, I, I became actually quite, quite good at it, not because I was the best musician, but I, I found in a lot of ways my, my own niche. So I, I, I found that what I was really good at was getting someone who had never picked up an instrument before and, you know, these were typically young primary school kids. I was very good at helping them to find interest in it. So what you typically would see when I went to, to music class would be that you, you'd go in, they would, you know, give you all of these classical music songs to go and learn and you'd just be bored out of your brains. You're like, this, like, I never actually want to play this. I don't enjoy playing this. So, you know, I remember uh, I went... I had a couple of um, students that I would go to, to their places as well. And I went to one of theirs and I had these two identical twins who would drive me crazy because they just never wanted to learn any of the songs that we were looking at. And I remember one of them was watching this anime special and it had like a Linkin Park song. And I was like, you know, I can, I can teach you how to play the melody of this. And he was, oh my God, that's so cool. Yes. Can I please learn that? And it, it, it you know, really changed how everything I, I then did in the business, which was then very much like, hey, let's find songs that you want to learn. We'll teach them in a way that helps you to continue to own your craft. And that was a business that uh, I did all the way up to even when we, we founded LawPath, I was still spending my weekends um, running running that business. And it was only something that, you know, I, I stopped over the last couple of years, couple of years with time. So, um, yeah, I absolutely loved every part of it. And got me playing instruments, which was always something I wanted to continue doing. Do you miss that musical connection then now that you're no longer doing it? Uh, look, th- things have changed a little bit for me now in that I, I've got a, a young son and so, you know, he, he wants to hear every every iteration of a wiggle song that can be played across every other <laughs> instrument. So you find your own ways into doing that and I assume when he gets a little bit older that it'll probably scratch that itch a little bit more once again. I do miss it at, at time to time, but, you know, I still have the opportunity to pick up the instruments as well. So, um I still try to keep them around. That's one thing I found as well is you, you, you've got to keep them in your line of sight. As soon as they go into storage, that, that, that's the end of them. So you've always got to keep them, you know, in for me, they're right in the center of the living room. So picking them up all the time, driving my wife crazy, but um, my son loves it. <laughs> is, he, um, is he requesting Elephant, the, uh, the Triple J hottest 100 number one song of this year? <laughs> he, 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 he does actually like that, yeah. It is really yeah, good. Um, <laughs> And, and anything wiggles, anything wiggles is his jam. <laughs> so, look, we've talked a bit about your kind of beginnings with, with business and small business. Was, was that something that even from a young age, like were you around small business in your family or did you know that entrepreneurship was going to be part of where you go? Yeah, not really, to be honest. So, so my parents had always been, you know, managers of other larger organisations. My mum had worked in travel as a travel agent and my, my dad had worked in retail as a manager. And um, But both of their fathers were both entrepreneurs. So on my, on my father's side, it was very much into local business. He had, um, he had bought a number of local businesses um, up on the central coast of New South Wales and uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a, was a very accomplished uh, chartered accountant who had run his own business as well. So uh, it, it, it's quite funny because it's something that I only really learn about in going into my own vocations into business, what that looked like. But I wouldn't say that I'm the, the typical entrepreneur who's had this, you know, you, you, you hear stories of kids who are, who are selling 
snacks ahead of the canteen and, you know, they were doing all of those entrepreneurial pieces from a very, very young age. Um, and I think in a lot of, you know, respects that, that, that wasn't me. It was something that I, I really learned through my experiences that that was something that I wanted to be good at. And one of the things that I found personally is, as I mentioned before, like the fact that I was a generalist and I was, I, I enjoyed doing multiple things and, and, and loved wearing multiple hats. I think that really serves you really well into entrepreneurship as well, where you're having to do that. So while it wasn't something that, you know, was like a natural calling to me, once I'd found it, I loved every bit of it. Now, marketing is your main jam these days. Now, I reckon that storytelling is at the heart of good marketing. So were you a storyteller as a kid? Did you like come from a family that was really great at spinning a yarn? Did you tell a good campfire tale? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It probably came uh, in a lot of respects that my, my brother is, is someone who will uh, talk, talk anybody's ear off. And uh, I was... Uh, there was there was about just under two years of an age gap between us, and I, I just always wanted to keep up with him. And he was always very much the the charismatic, the big talker. Could just you give him a topic, and he would just he would just run with it for forever. And so my aim in everything that I did as a, as a young kid was I just I just want to be that little bit better than him, or, or at least be able to compete <laughs> with him. And so that just drove me the whole time. And so he's ended up, you know, he's um. He's very accomplished in, in, in radio. He's had a number of his own shows. Uh, he's very much kind of continued down that path. But, uh, yeah, I, I was at an early age. I was, I was competing and trying to just keep up, you know, and we did a lot of it. Uh, we, we, we would go camping quite a bit. We were, you know, very outdoorsy kids. We would, we would do a lot of that, loved trying to come up with the best horror story around the campfire and, they, they were all probably terrible, but we, we loved it and we, 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 you know, we, we put our own spin on them. So it has been something, yeah, from a very early age I've, I've been attached to. So when you were at uni, you did um, comms and journalism, but when did you realise that marketing was really your thing? Yeah, so when I was at university, I was doing, uh, yeah, like a public communication degree, which had a, it had a major in advertising and, it uh, you know, I was doing a, a number of different subjects and really, in all honesty, just trying to work out what I, it, it was that I wanted to do. And uh, it was when I was, I, I was looking for work. So uh, I, I, had, I had a job where I would be, I was that person who would go to all of the different Woolworths and do the, the free sampling. So I'm sure you've all seen them before. We're giving <laughs> out like the, the free samples of the cheese or the, the, the new flavor of shapes or whatever that would be. And uh, that was that was my my job, and then I, I I had a car accident actually going between the jobs, and my my car was ridden off, and I couldn't do that job anymore. So I I was like, okay, I better go find a, a new job, and then I I, I managed to, to to get a job uh, at a, a company called Spreets, which was uh, an online group buying company, and uh, they were looking for someone to to come in uh, in like a marketing analyst role, do a lot of reporting for them. Uh, and so I applied for that, which was a part-time job while I was still at university, managed to get in there. And then that, in a lot of respects, changed my, my worldview on everything. It, it really opened this door to, to digital marketing, which I wasn't really, I, I didn't have anything real understanding in at all. It was very new at the time. It wasn't taught in, in university in, in any real capacity. And basically in, in that role, I was their, their fourth employee. They said, 
Uh, we, we're going to teach you how to, to basically send out all of our daily deal emails. Uh, we've got a list of 1.7 million people we send to five different cities um, three times a day. So, uh, and, and just so you know, it's about 75% of the revenue that the, the business brings in. So uh, no pressure, Tom, but um, yeah, we want you to do this. And um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't even working full time for the organization at the time. These baptisms of fire that I was able to get through that experience really then opened me up to then saying, okay, this is something that I really, I really want to get into and, and, and specifically the digital marketing side of it where I was able to really combine, you know, what I love from the creative angle, but then also being able to really leverage the data, talk about things with a little bit more objectivity and, um, yeah, very much found my calling and it was, it was through that first job. At that time, there weren't very many deal sites around. Spreets was one of the first and they got bought out by Yahoo, I think $41 million deal, something like that. What kind of insight did that give you into the startup ecosystem, given that you were employee number four? I'm sure you were pretty au fait with the goings-on of the business. Yeah, absolutely. So the, my, my first job actually as that analyst role was uh, to do all of their weekly reporting. So it was you know, all of the financials, how much was being spent on marketing, how many users that was generating, and then the revenue that was being generated off of that. So, you know, I was really fortunate that uh, the transparency that that allowed me to see was 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 really strong. And I think one of the things that I, I, I really learned through that was, I, I, you know, the, the founders of the business were, you know, tremendous entrepreneurs. And I think one of the things that I learned was that, you know, while they being the people who had the idea, they'd taken the risk and, you know, they, they were the ones who, who were running the show. It, they were un, like they were remarkably relatable. They were they were just like every every other person that I, I'd known, just potentially with you know a bit more of an appetite for risk, you know, some strong leadership skills as well. But you know, they they weren't this person that you would put on a pedestal that you'd never be able to reach. And so I think I found through that that oh wow, this is something that if you've got an idea and you're and you're willing to to to, to give it a shot and put everything into it. Um, make some tough decisions along the way, then, you know, there, there isn't that much that separates, you know, these these entrepreneurs that we look at with such high regard and just, just your everyday human beings. So that was the big, the big part for me. And, and, you know, as I've gone through my journey, that, that's been very, very consistent with the other, the, the other leaders of businesses I've worked with. So um, anyone can do this is, is really, I guess, the moral of the story. For anyone listening, you know, that is, that is such a great point that it's, um, it is, it is something that I guess when you're around inspiring people, you can learn from them and you can learn how to be an entrepreneur. I mean, we speak on this podcast to, we've spoken to quite a few people who really just knew, like you said, like they were pretty much born thinking, okay, I'm a born entrepreneur. I could see myself doing it. But the fact that you can learn it is, is really inspiring. Now, I think that sort of leads us to how did you meet the people who would go on to become your co-founders? Because there are four of you. And, uh, and what, yeah. was there a moment where that, where that just clicked? Yeah, so it was a bit of an interesting story, this one, where uh, one of the co-founders was actually uh, one of the people that I had worked with at, at Spreets, and we, we'd been looking for an, an opportunity to do um, something together again. And um, at the time, I, I'd worked in a number of different roles, and I, I'd spent a lot of my time after hours uh, you know, really when I wasn't working, I was trying to build my own businesses and, and, and 
you know, these were all typically online businesses. You know, I, I, I created a couple of different, you know, freelancing businesses. I, I uh, built out some blogs. I built out a couple of online communities. I, I was trying all of these, these different things with usually with myself, but with other people as well. And, you know, learning so much about what was going into starting a business. And, you know, one of the things that I always struggled with was just the, the, you know, I suppose the, the, the boring compliance side of it was actually just getting the right registrations in, you know, making sure that I had the right type of um, contracts in order with clients uh, and, you know, that I was, uh, you know, doing, doing everything that was, that was, you know, legally compliant and it wasn't leading to headaches down the track. And so while I was doing all of these things, um, you know, had a couple of chats with um, the, the the other founders of, of Lawpath, and you know the the idea of, of of really trying to democratize the law and and bring the law to something where it's transparent, it's accessible, and it's affordable was something that as soon as soon as you know that, that whole premise and, and bringing that to, to life came to me, and they talked about what they were, they were looking to do. I thought, yep, this is. This is exactly this cross section of what I, I've been looking for, and you know, my, you know, while, while I didn't come with the idea, what I really wanted to come with was I think that the way that we can we can get this going, we knew that we wanted to, you know, make the law more accessible, do that through technology. But where I thought that the ideal angle was this was, hey, let's not just try to do this with everyone and 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 you know, not have a focus. This is. This is for small business. There is so much that we can do in the, in the starting, the running, the scaling, and the sailing of businesses. And this is something that then, you know, I, I thought was going to be the angle that we went down. And and so that's what we did. So we started up the business. It became very much for us a uh, a big fact finding mission at the start. We had a lot of different ideas of different products and services that we wanted to to put out. We found eventually that. As I said, and, and, and as I'm, you know, the hypothesis very much rang true that the businesses is where that we wanted to go after. And that's where we were having a great deal of our success. And so, you know, while there have been a lot of, you know, changes to product, changes to personnel and, and, and different pieces along the way, the thing that we've always tried to really hold true is that, you know, we support and we champion these businesses and, and, and being one of those myself, uh, it was something that I was always so passionate about and I'm, you know, Looking back at now where we are with it, it's um, it's, it, it, it's truly remarkable. I, I love the the idea of you know we're at a point now where we're starting a, about one in twenty of the businesses in Australia, and you think about how that then impacts in the likes of how many people that's employing, how much money that's bringing into the economy, how many opportunities that's creating. It's yeah, it's it's, it's quite remarkable, and yeah, probably don't take enough time to sit back and think about. How yeah, how incredible that is, and 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 how exciting that's been to be a part of. Yeah. So when you guys came in, you really were disruptors of that traditional law firm idea by making it more accessible, by disrupting in that way. You really leveraged technology to be able to do that, and I think that's kind of changed the legal landscape. There's other, you know, there's Legal Visions, other people that have come on board since you guys started. How do you think LawPath can hang on to its disruptor status? Yeah, so I think what holds holds LawPath in a really unique position is that we've always been the, the technology platform first and it, it took us a little bit of a time to, to work out, 
you know, that this was the, the, the way that we wanted to go because we had components of service and of, um, you know, more online SaaS that, that you know, software as a service that we would really look to push. And we, we really worked out that what works really well for us is using technology to give accessibility to the law where if not for somebody like LawPath, there, there just wouldn't be there wouldn't be an alternative, and I knew this myself as as a business owner. If you if you were trying to 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 get the legal protection that you needed, that your contracts in order, getting the right type of legal advice, unless you were at a certain level of maturity in your business, you had to fork out money that you just you didn't want to part with at the time. It, it, it was a really big investment for you to do, and so what we have found through uh, you know, everything that we've done is that I, I definitely wasn't alone in that. And, you know, there the statistics, uh, I, I think that the number is 87% of, of small businesses do not get access to the law, the, to the legal solutions that they need and the legal support that they need because of, of both the time and, and the, the prohibitive costs. So we find ourselves in a position where if not for somebody accessing uh, a way of being able to access the law through technology, they, they simply would would not have anything to do. They would they would they would wing it. They would wait for something to go wrong, and then once at that point, it would often you know mean the downfall of the business. So that that ability for us to focus in an area where a lot of other law firms and the like they they just they don't want to focus because the money isn't there for them. The opportunities are, are smaller. But for us, because we can do a lot of that repetitive, more consistent work that, you know, you see that a lot of these, these businesses need, we can make it work for us. And it means that, you know, the volumes that we're dealing with are, are so much more significant than, than your typical business. So it's like our own, in a lot of respects, it's our own category. You know, everyone talks about big law and they talk about mid-tiers and they talk about, you know, small law as well. It's it, In effect, it's tiny law that we're really going after. It's like our whole own category. So, you know, that's always where we wanted to play, and I think that's always been our advantage. Making big differences to tiny law. <laughs> I've, I've just got your new tagline uh, tag right there. Um, yeah, yeah, I might steal that one off you, Adam. Big, <laughs> I'll be trademarking that. Uh, we'll be back in a moment with more from Tom Willis after this very, very short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Tom Willis from LawPath. Now, Tom, not coming from a law background, uh, what has been the steepest learning curve for you in marketing law LawPath? And you know, in kind of what, kind of adding to that question, um, we've kind of touched on the fact that it, it is kind of a bit of an asset in a way, right? Like having not coming from the like being able to come at it from a small business owner perspective as you have. Absolutely. I think it's been, in a lot of respects, one of the biggest advantages that I've had in that for a lot of my career, I've, I've been the anti-law. I've, I've, you know, a lot of the companies that I worked for, their legal counsel spent a lot of specific time with me because I was always trying to 
push the envelope on doing, you know, different promotions and giveaways and trying to see how close to the line we, we, we could really go. And so when, when you, you, you're combining that with, with having a look at, at the law, it was, it was often everyone saw it as like, that's not quite your, your obvious fit time in a lot of these ways. But I think what the advantage that I, I found I have and people that we brought into the business have is that because they're not looking at different solutions to these, these typical legal problems and the way that the, the services are being delivered, they come in it of basically, you know, we can really take things back to, 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 to having a look at first principles. We can build out what we think is going to be the right delivery mechanisms. And we, we don't have the bias that the, a lot of that is attached to. And so I, I found that to be, in, in a lot of respects, really advantageous. There was a very steep learning curve for me. I feel like I now have a law degree, having never actually studied anything in law just from, from practice. And it is something that very much built over time. And I think it's been one of these things where, like anything, you're learning a language, uh, you're, you're, you're taking on a new subject matter. There's, there's very much an 80-20 to everything that you do, that Pareto principle. And I, I find that with a lot of what we talk about, because we're dealing with a lot of businesses of similar sizes, they've got a, a couple of, of very common requirements that, that come up and that they're or going to need and that are applicable for them. If we can really hone in on on those, we're going to cover you know a, a lot of the types of businesses that that are coming through. And then you know where we're able to use, fortunately enough for us, our technology then to help with things like recommendations, next steps, and you know being able to take people down down certain certain roads um, with with that as well. But uh, yeah, look, I, I still get pulled back from compliance, and you know the lawyers that we have in house at different times for saying, uh, "Hey, Tom, I think you're a uh, you're saying something that we can't quite say. So it's good to have them <laughs> to have them around at the same time because I think I'm always going to be that person who who, who pushes uh, how far that we can go. The old tension between marketing, what marketing want to say, and what the lawyers want you not to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so branding's the bread and butter of marketing, but it's something that's not usually um, considered very much by startups. It's often ignored. So as LawPath CMO, how did you develop the brand messaging? It's something that in, in all honesty, to begin with, we, we did ignore as well. It was something that we, we thought, and I thought specifically being the one who was leading the marketing charge, that the way that we could, we could grow things was very much, let's just put the, the products and services in front of the right type of people. And that, that would typically look after itself. That happened to a degree, but because we were in a big amount of education that, that had to go in, people weren't used to being able to use technology to create their own documents online and, and to access lawyers online. They were, they were used to paying a premium for someone to very much hold their hand and, and, and take them through everything. So it took me quite a while. And I think, you know, there were a couple of things that changed. I think that there was progressively, there's been a shift in, in how uh, businesses want to interact with legal services, and they, they've got much more comfortable with with doing things over line as uh, online as as things like you know obviously we've had COVID that, that that's hidden and has forced people into that way, and then that's kind of changed a few of the behaviours. But you know even prior to that, I think one of the things that that we you know really needed to to hone down on was you know when we're looking at a brand side of things, who we were talking to. 
and we we learnt very quickly through who we were targeting that the business owner was who we who we were after. It wasn't the the head of operations or the the legal counsel. We were dealing specifically with the business owner. So we needed to make everything that we talked about very much through their lens and putting ourselves into their shoes. And you know, being business owners ourselves, that was quite a you know something that we could we could conveniently take on that that persona. Um, and then, you know, in, in doing that as well, I think one of the things that we, we needed to learn was that we needed to invest in, in, in building awareness about what we did. And I think that, you know, you see a lot of businesses that they, they start up and particularly online startups, they say, well, we're just going to invest everything, every dollar that we have goes into online advertising. And, you know, uh, because we can measure every, every uh, success that we're having with that, it's going to be very, very easy for us to build you know, a good user base and then and then basically everything will look after itself. And, you know, while that happens to a degree, there needs to be an investment into brand as well, I've learned, because you actually need in a lot of respects to create demand that is then, you know, you can then harvest based on the fact that people are looking for, for, for services like, like yours. And the only way of doing that is making people aware of what it is that you do, really, you know, communicating those those value propositions and, you know, building uh, a little bit of demand yourself in addition to, you know, trying to, to take advantage of what is already there. So it takes, you know, both of those two-pronged attacks to, to, to happen. And then I think things very much, you know, pick up and, and the momentum builds. So how do you make sure that LawPath's marketing stories actually have cut through? Ah, that's that's a good question. There's a couple of things that we need to think of there. You know, the, the stories themselves to, to get the cut through, I think most importantly, they need relatability. And, and you know, we, we very much try to hone in on working out who it is that is using LawPath and then how, how they are benefiting from LawPath, how we can then tell their story. And then by doing that, how we can attract more of these styles of businesses. And so, you know, in the early days of LawPath, the way that we did this, and I would recommend this to any business owner when they're starting out, if you've got a small customer base, you know, it is obviously very difficult to do a big quantitative analysis of what industry they're in, their, their, their employee size and everything else. But if you're doing that on a qualitative level in an early stage, you can learn You can learn so much. And that, and that can be through just, you know, having a look at who's signing up, adding them on LinkedIn, sending them an email, you know, having a look across their social profiles and having a chat to them as well and, and actually learning then about what they're using you for and what they would like to see in, in the service that you have. So if you are doing that and then you're finding out what it is that people are, are doing uh, and are using you for, you can then look to find more of them. You can tell their stories themselves and through them being the champion of what it is that you do, I believe it allows you to have cut through because the relatability is just is just so high and, and you're solving a problem that they they themselves will have. Now with with LawPath, you've got your ear to the ground about the most pressing problems Aussie small businesses are facing. Uh, what keeps them coming up time and time again? What are the, the worst offenders? What are the things that the issues that you kind of feel might be getting worse and worse that you know, business owners kind of need more of a hand with. Yeah, that that this comes up a lot. We 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 talk a lot to business owners, uh, and because you know we're, we're registering a lot of the businesses at the early stage, we we see kind of two kinds. We see when those mistakes are about to be made, and we see when those mistakes have happened, and we're having to to help with cleaning things up on that side as well. One of the common things that we see, and this is something that anyone who's been in business 
should be if they're if they're in business and they're new in business they should be mindful of and if they've been in business they they might have learned about this the hard way is that you typically you're going to start a business more often than not people start with co-founders usually the co-founders have some sort of that they're, they're your friends or their family and you you don't have any kind of you know paperwork contract in place agreement that that then says this is what our roles and responsibilities are going to be. They just say, hey, you know, let, let's just have a chat about it. This is the pub. Let's do this 50-50 and we'll see where we end up. And, you know, you can only imagine what happens. There's so many famous examples of this. You know, you only have to look at what, what happened with, with Facebook and, you know, with, with Zuck and with the, with the Winklevoss twins and, 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 and everything else that atta- was attached there. But then looking at that in, you know, typical examples that we see is that uh, the one person in the business is very heavily inv- invested into it, is, is doing a lot more than somebody else in the business, but they've got a 50-50 split of what they're, they're entitled to when one of them is, you know, sees this as a long-term thing and maybe another one has and then they've gone off and, you know, found another job or, or whatnot as well. And then so, you know, it puts them in a really, in a really compromising position. So it's just so important that you get this in writing, what it is that each of you are going to be doing so that you've got a leg to stand on if something something changes in that arrangement and, and, and things do need to, to be split. So that, that's one that we, we, we really commonly see and that um, a, a lot of businesses have to then, to then deal with. I think another thing as well that we, that we see a lot of is when, when businesses are, are starting out we we find that there's there's two extremities that we see. There's the business that starts out and does nothing in the way of, of putting in those things like founder agreements, shareholder agreements, and, and and putting a good infrastructure in place. And then they find themselves in in you know really bad positions down the track. They engage with clients, and they you know again it's just been you know verbal agreements and whatnot, and then that's turned into difficult. That's become really difficult when they're chasing money or whatnot. And then you see the other extremity with these businesses where they protect absolutely everything. You know, they've, they've trademarked themselves in, you know, 20 countries and, you know, um, have set up these really convoluted structures of their business and they haven't turned over a single dollar yet. So I think one of the things that, you know, we, we really try to be in the mantra that we say is, hey, let's, let's help you to get your legal infrastructure in place at a very affordable cost. Once you've got that in, you know, if there are additional pieces that you need, we can always add them along the way if you're wanting to protect IP or, you know, if you're doing capital raising or whatnot, and there's, there's additional requirements that you need. But don't go all, all in on protecting something if you're, you're at a point where that money is better spent, you know, in developing things, investing in marketing, into developments and, 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 and everything else as well. That's such a good point because we've seen like we've seen over the past couple of years, a real boom in people starting businesses, especially over over the pandemic. You always hear those stats about how one in five businesses will fail in the first two years and you know, numbers to that effect. How do you make sure you're not more than one in that statistic? I mean, you, you've already kind of alluded to the fact that you might be putting every single egg you have into one basket and going, all right, we're protecting something, we're trademarking in 20 countries before you've even really proven the concept you know like how do you make sure you're not wanting that that statistic yeah yeah there's a few things that i i think are really important here one is um i think focus is is a really key a key piece of what any any business should be doing and so um this comes into 
really every part of your business, whether that's marketing, whether that's business development, you know, I, I see one of the things I think a lot of businesses fall to the sort of, and, you know, actually we found this in, in the early days of LawPath is you've got so many opportunities there that, you know, entrepreneurs have this real tendency of just, you know, um, it's things like feature creep and ideas creep and they, they, they just have all these great ideas that come out and they go, right, I'm going to, you know, completely um, change my goalpost. I'm going to look at what I'm doing and then say, no, nope, we're going to add this in, we're going to prioritize this and we're going to focus in, on jumping into that. And that might be a great idea, but if it puts you off of track of something that you then, you know, put a lot of time and effort and, and dedication into, often you'll just find yourself consistently doing that and you'll be looking at it's that whole shiny new thing type of, you know, syndrome that, that we see people have. So I think that that's something that is really key. And, and if I can talk about my own experiences of what, what we found when at LawPath and what really we were able to drive success with there was it was it was purely focusing on on the areas that were important to us and laser focusing down for us was we want to help small businesses we've got a couple of key solutions that we have across our platform that really help these small businesses so while we will get people reaching out to us to offer us new opportunities elsewhere that will take development resources and we'll need to bring on headcount and whatnot let's focus on what we we do well let's let's really get that into a position where then we think that that can be can be productized that you know we can bring in people to help and to delegate that work out to before we then move on to tackling something else so i think that for me is is the biggest one and that really comes into every every part of what you're doing in business that that focus is just just so important now, apart from uh, your focus as CMO at LawPath, you also have a focus on the industry at large. You've got a platform, Marketing Trends, where you unpack the routine, the stories, the process, the practices of some of Australia's top marketers. Now, what inspired you to start Marketing Trends? Yeah, so Marketing Trends was really built out of, really, in, in all honesty, it was, a, it was a selfish desire that I had to talk to more people in the industry. And I, I found that when, once we had our, our little boy and, the, and the, the kids come along, that it becomes a little bit more difficult to, to go out to, to, to different networking events and to fill your time in, in those kind of ways. So I said, well, what, what if we have conversations with marketers that we want to be having conversations with? We published those findings that would help other people who were trying to learn from them. And what we really wanted to dig into there was what role does marketing play in the different organizations of the leaders that we spoke to? You know, how do they make up their teams? What are the different you know, tools and resources that they would recommend? And it's through that also that we've been able to pick up on what are the really big trends in the industry? What's keeping marketers up at night? What are the challenges that they have? And we've done now over 100 different features of, of different marketing leaders across Australia. And I've learned so much through that. I've, I've developed such a fantastic network where I can reach out to these different marketers at, at different stages to pick their brains on different things. And one of the things I, I always need to remember is that you can get so much more out of your day by just having a 15 or half an hour conversation with someone who's tackling a similar problem to you, but maybe in a different industry or, you know, um, tackling in a different way than you can just, you know, really burning the midnight oil for eight, eight, nine hours and trying to work it out yourself. So, you know, it, it's really enabled me to be able to have more of these conversations. And I think it's really important as you get, you know, uh, whether whether you're a founder or you're, you're high up in an organization and that you don't have those people around you to be able to bounce 
those ideas off, I think it's really important to find them. That's so true. You should be going out having as many conversations as you can with people whose opinions you trust because it it can spark great new ideas. Now, um, just to wrap up, marketing plays a really big role in the success of small businesses. What would be your one piece of marketing strategy advice that small business owners cannot afford to ignore? Look, I'm, I'm a very numbers-driven person, so I, I would say that my, my advice would be what, whatever you are doing from a marketing angle, you, you need to then be considering what that's driving on the other side of things. So every dollar that you're putting in, you should be looking at what is what then that's leading to and how many customers you're gaining and then what those customers are are worth to you. And even if you're doing things like, as we've talked about, brand marketing and, you know, trade marketing or events or, or whatever that might be where it, you, you want to think about with that, what is a target that I'm looking to do in, in terms of being able to acquire customers or you know, bring in more leads or inquiries or whatever that might be. You need to set out what that, that goal is going to be and then also what, what is then going to be the, the longer term value of that on the other side of things. And you should be doing that for everything that you're doing. I, I think one of the things that a lot of businesses do is they go, oh, we, we tried radio, it, it didn't work for us. Or we, you know, we, we put up a few billboards and we, it didn't work for us. And you say, well, what were you measuring? What was your measurement of success that was then going to tell you whether or not you wanted to continue with that? And they haven't, they haven't thought through that. They just thought, we're going to do one thing and it's going to mean that all of these other things change. And I think it's by making sure with whatever it is that you're doing that you've got a clear way of being able to measure that that then you're able to incrementally look and say, all right, if this brings me more visitors, I'm going to do this to bring me more leads. If this brings me more leads, I'm going to do this to bring me more customers. And you're you're thinking through all of those little interactions that are going to happen. But first and foremost, just measure it because, you know, as, as everybody says, well, the famous saying, what gets measured gets done. And I think that applies to all parts of life. That's right. And look, it's like you're saying, it's it's like it's a bit of a Rubik's Cube of like um, reorganizing and recalibrating and then trying something new and then trying something that, no, something that may not have worked that well last time and going, okay, what am I going to learn from it? What can I do differently? And eventually at some point you click into whatever that perfect, that perfect Rubik's Cube looks like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Tom, it, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much for joining us on First Act. Thanks so much for having me, Adam and Seth. It's been great. If you'd like to find out more about LawPath, go to lawpath.com.au. Thank you to everyone who's listening. We love producing this show for you each week. Make sure to join us next week for another fantastic First Act conversation. 